Welcome to the Movement PT Coffee Cast, where we sit down and talk about physical therapy, health, and whatever else comes to mind during our coffee-infused conversations. Welcome back to the PT Coffee Cast. We're here with episode six. I'm Dalton, and alongside me, as always, is my beautifully bearded friend, William. William, how are we doing? We're doing pretty solid here. So uh, it's a nice spring day out today. I'm pretty excited. I'm in a good mood. How about you? Oh, I'm in a great mood. It's beautiful out. Yeah. For the first time in a while. I know. It's nice. It's nice. So today, we are back with a guest. You don't have to listen to just mine and Will's voice. Um, (laughs) We are interviewing... Uh, Vitas, I don't want to botch your last name, Vitas, so would you mind pronouncing it for us? <laughs> uh, Vitas No Junis. Ah, uh, Vitas No Junis. There you, you go. It? There you yeah. go. Good. <laughs> All right, Vitas, uh, so before we get started, we're going to talk about our coffee because it's the most important part of our show. Of course. So, Will, let them know what we're drinking today. <laughs> we got our usual, actually, pilot coffee. We, we always drink this because there's a place in London that sells it called Locomotive, but it's actually from Toronto, I think. Have you ever had Pilot, Vitas? Uh, it sounds familiar, but no, I've never had it. There's one in the GO station. Okay. Yeah, so if you're ever there, it's, it's really good stuff. It's, it's heritage blend. It's toffee milk, chocolate, and creamy. Mm. <laughs> it's delicious. Vitas, what are you drinking today? Uh, I can't tell you what it actually is, but... It's uh, just something from Costco, whatever Costco had. There you go. Hey, Costco's good. Yeah, some people yeah, have some <laughs> go good coffee. Yeah, some people aren't as crazy as us when it comes to, uh, to coffee. So. It gives us, like, something to talk about, too, you know? <laughs> yeah, I, I just need a little bit of fuel to start my day, and I'm good. <laughs> yeah, are you, like, a one coffee per day kind of guy? Yeah, just, just uh, yeah, I'll usually have a cup to start my day, and, and then from there I'm ready to go. And then you're good to go. <laughs> All right, let's 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 get into a little bit about you, Vitas. Why don't you tell um, tell the people who you are, um, kind of how where you are in your career and how you got to the point you are right now? Uh, so I graduated in 2013 from the University of Western Ontario. And uh, since then, I've been, majority of my practice has been in outpatient orthopedics. Uh, you know, in, ter- in terms of just my career thus far, just kind of just constantly evolving, developing, uh, just changing with kind of what I see and what I learn and, you know, part of what works and part of it is, you know, the research that comes out and so forth. Uh, I do, I do have a strong focus in, in sports rehabilitation and, uh, you know, sports rehab, just cause that's a lot of what my experience is from. Uh, but you know, I think, I think I, I like to learn a lot about the various Various aspects of physical therapy, even even to this day, from acute care to to the neurological stuff, because I do think there are portions and aspects of that that can lend to other things. Uh, and that's yeah, that's the gist of it. Yeah, that's a that's a good point. I think a lot of times uh, we kind of forget about the other areas, like especially like you mentioned, you've been in the orthopedic setting for a while, and like we have aspirations of going into that setting. I think you tend to forget about the other areas, like you're saying, neuro and acute care that actually do have uh, important benefits to, you know, carry over into the orthopedic setting. 
Absolutely. And I think, and for the most part, I think a big part of that is the neurological, the neurological stuff. Cause you know, you learn about how the nervous system can be both, you know, not only its effects, but also what can happen when it's damaged and, you know, when it's not functioning well, I think, I think there's a lot of, a lot of stuff in orthopedics that I think now I realize now are, you know, a lot of it comes down to the nervous system from, yeah. from pain to movement. And I think, and, and I think, and I think understanding that is a, uh, is a big part to being a, a well-rounded practitioner, even in, you know, outpatient orthopedics. Yeah. Yeah, we know. Um, so I know you kind of mentioned how you've kind of grown. What, what are some of the ways that you that you saw yourself kind of change from when you first came out of uh, physio school to where you are now? Uh, so I think when I first came out of physio school, I think like a lot of new grads, I was, you know, you're trying to grasp every new skill you can acquire, and you you feel almost overwhelmed because. You know, you come out of you come out of practice with just the little the little sliver that you learned in school, and you and you have and you have so much that you feel like there is to learn. Uh, and now, kind of over these last five years, I realized that it's it's not about it's not necessarily about adding tools to a toolbox. It's it's more so about trying to simplify your practice to be to be as as simplistic and straightforward as possible. You know, the more, the more things that you keep on adding to it, adding to it, the more, you know, the more it can get convoluted and the more it can almost get watered down to the point where you're not sure what works. You're not sure what's helping, what's not helping. So I think, I think really cutting back a lot of those tools and getting rid of a lot of those tools is the big part of my practice. Just, just like I said, to be able to understand what, what, what's actually helping and what's the bare, bare minimum like what's the what's the 20% of treatment that I can give somebody that can give them 80% of the result yeah we were talking about that before the podcast actually started I, I was really interested in how you talked about actually experimenting with some of that like take out a little bit of this and see if how that impacts your practice can you kind of talk about that you know what I'm talking about yeah yeah absolutely and I, I think kind of what, what we we're talking about before the show is you know regardless of what practitioner what, what type of practitioner you are you know at the end of the day hopefully no matter what techniques you're using you know you're at the end of the day hopefully you're just genuinely trying to help people uh, and as long as you're helping people like it's you know that's that's the main thing that that comes with that but at the same time I think we as practitioners you know you learn a skill. There's always that bias. You know, you, you paid $1,500 to take a course. You learn this skill. You know, a lot of people get stuck in a rut where they feel like if they don't use that skill anymore, that, you know, that, that course was essentially a waste of time. And it's, it's almost like they're, they're downplaying their own decision-making. Right. Uh, I think, I think for a lot of practitioners, it's always, it's good to step outside your comfort zone. So like we were talking about, you know, if you're, if you're somebody that heavily relies on manual therapy or, or what, or what have you like, or you, you have heavily rely on modalities or you heavily rely on this approach, that approach, you know, try, try taking some time, even if it's just one day, or even if it's just like one, you know, a couple patients, try taking yourself and putting yourself in a different state of mind. So, you know, it might be, all right, this, you know, this patient, I'm going to try and be completely hands off or, you know, the opposite could go for someone. If you're, if you're strictly an exercise person, you know, try, try maybe a day in the clinic where, you're just strictly using more, you know, manual therapy. At least that, not to say that, you know, you have to stick with either one of those, but just right. to step, step outside of what you're used to and seeing 
you know, what kind of results do you get? Do you get the same results? It's, it's that, it's that trial and error, obviously still keeping the patient's time and their, you know, their, their resources in mind to, to make sure that you're not wasting it. But at the same time, it's, it's nice to kind of see what would happen if you didn't have that skill. You know, I think any, any practitioner that relies on any one technique, any one approach is, it's a, it's a difficult situation because, you know, say you're a manual therapist and you break your hand. Well, you know, are you going to be any less effective of a practitioner or are you just going to be just as effective using a different approach? Yeah. That's uh kind of goes back to like a post that you had posted on your story. Not that long ago about constantly like challenging um, your bias and how it's crucial um, as a clinic, as a clinician to do that, that kind of goes along the lines of, of that comment, right? Like where you're, you know, if you're biased to one thing, well, why don't you try another way of treating the individual that might not necessarily be something that you use all the time? Yeah, absolutely. Like, like I said, you know, a lot of, a lot of what, because of the way the science works, you know, there's, there's, there's definitely tons of uncertainties and unknowns in our practice that we still haven't, you know, either it hasn't been completely researched or, you know, the theory is there and, and some of the application is there, but still we haven't kind of connected all the dots. So, you know, at the end of the day, a lot of what we do with our patients is still, it's, it's, you know, even if it's a lot of it's evidence-based, there's still some of it that's belief-based. And, you know, I believe this because, you know, there's some research on it. There's, you know, there's some, re- there's some logic behind it, but at the end of the day, it's a belief. And, you know, to make sure that your belief isn't something you're, you're believing because, you're used to it or you're biased to it, I think is, is really important. Cause again, like I said before, you get stuck in a rut where, you know, you stick with what you know, because you know it and you never really kind of go outside of that. So it's important to really constantly challenge what you know, because at the end of the day, that's, that's what your patients are getting. That's really cool. I have a question about that. Uh, like just having, obviously you have challenged your biases in the past. How do you feel like, that has impacted you in the way that uh, you treat. Does that make sense? Uh, yeah, no, I, I think like, uh, you know, challenging my biases of the past. I mean, you know, there's a lot of beliefs that I, I believed and, you know, simply I just started, started kind of looking into it more, looking into the research more. I mean, whether it's, you know, something like soft tissue work, I had, I had certain beliefs and biases about it that, it would help certain situations or it would be, you know, useful in some and useful, not useful in others. Uh, and you, and you, and you simply challenge that by kind of what I was saying earlier, you know, try, try an approach where you don't take it. So an example would be, you know, you have a, again, patellar tendinopathy case, you know, something to do with the quad, something to do with their having pain in the, you know, the anterior of the knee. Can you still treat that person effectively without soft tissue work? And that, and, and, you know, a lot of people would believe that, you know, soft tissue work to decrease the tension or, or what have you in the, in the quads would be an important part of it. But, you know, try, try challenging your own bias by, by not using that and see if you can still get that same result. So, you know, challenging, you know, basically I, any technique or skill I use, I, I, ch- I challenge that, that belief that that skill is useful in my practice. Yeah. I think that's a good way of going about it too. And it's not to say like that you don't do, you know, any soft tissue at, at, at all, 
but like not using it as your main approach to treatment. So like the patellar uh, example you're using, like, okay, maybe you could start off with a little bit of a soft tissue release or massage or whatever you want to call it, and then go to more of loading strategies and use that as your main goal of the treatment session. Does that like kind of make, make sense too? how you can kind of incorporate, you know, both not to just say that like one is completely ineffective over the other or, yeah, no, not at all. And I, I, you know, I, I think there's, I think there's a, a place and time for everything. And, uh, you know, you know, one of the quotes I like about all that stuff is, you know, there's, what is it? Something, something works, something works for everyone, but not everything works. No, something works. <laughs> yeah. I just like, yeah. yeah. You know what, you know what I'm trying to say? Yeah. Like, we, we got it. Not, not everything works for everybody but something works for someone or something along yeah there there you go there you go for sure yeah no that 100 percent true yeah you can't just throw it throw it out you know it it could be valuable for someone i i feel like some of that part of part of that too is maybe you just get a little bit better at delivering those treatments like your even your loading strategies like some people don't see the value in loading their patellar tendon when it's sore so are, are you are you so are you saying people don't, don't see value in it from a patient aspect or yeah, a clinician right. aspect? Like they don't understand. Like the patient may not understand why that that's what they need, right? Yeah, and, and that's and that's fine, and and that's that comes down to communication skill, being able to communicate that patient to that patient that that's useful. And again, you know, that's something you know in that particular case, that's something that the research is very heavily heavily supporting in terms of being a adequate, appropriate application for patellar tendinopathy. Uh, but again, like I said, yeah, there's, you know, everybody can have different tools and, you know, there's all, there's always a time and a place that a tool may be applicable, but there shouldn't ever be a time and a place where that tool is by any means necessary. Right. Outside of, like I said, some of the more proven strategies, like the loading strategy and so forth. Yeah, yeah. But even that, and even that might not always be, you know, somebody with patellar tendinopathy that's really afraid to load it or, you know, they're really, they're really adverse to loading it, then you might, you might need to find a different strap. I mean, you'll still need to load it somehow, but you might need to f- be a little bit more creative and, and find something outside of the typical way that you would load it. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I know you used to be uh, a basketball player. You played in the NCAA and had a professional career overseas. Is that right? Yep. You want to maybe touch a little bit on that and then how you kind of went from going from basketball to physiotherapy and why that decision came about? Yeah. Uh, so in terms of the sports, I played uh, division two in the States. I played at Lake Superior state and uh, Urbana university in Ohio. Uh, so I played there for four years from there. I ended up playing in Spain for a year overseas. Yep. Uh, you know, again, it was, you know, all amazing experiences. Definitely, definitely a lot of wear and tear in the body. I think more than, more than people realize. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's a saying as an athlete from the from the first day of the season to the last day of the season. There's, there's never a day when you're ever truly 100. percent Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think, and I think, I think that helped in in many ways. You know, you know, real. I mean, we'll get into it later, but the realization that you know sometimes pain is a normal part of things. It's not. It's not necessarily something that should be kind of constantly feared and avoided. Right. Uh, in terms of why I got into physical therapy itself, uh, I always had an interest in it. I, you know, growing up, I had a lot of growing pains from, from just kind of just the constant growth spurts. So I actually started seeing a physical therapist when I was about 13 or 14, I'd say. Uh, 
Okay. Uh, and just, you know, and just that interest in, you know, somebody being able to help me with the, with the pain that I was experiencing and, and being assuring in a sense right. was something that really kind of stuck with me. And, uh, you know, throughout my playing days, I went through, you know, you know, athletic therapists, trainers, physical therapists, chiros, you know, I, I basically was able to experience every, every practitioner or every uh, profession within the rehab world. So I was always able to kind of, stay stay within arm's reach of that that profession all throughout my career and you know when i when it was all said and done at the end of the day when i was done playing i thought it was just you know it seemed like a natural transition for me to still be able to stay around that that sports realm that sports field but you know get into something more professional long term cool do you still ball uh once in a while once in a while (laughs) it's it's interesting um I mean, I think, I feel like a lot of people have, have like a similar experience in terms of like being former athletes or playing sports and then, you know, transitioning to physical therapy because, you know, you want to, you got help when you were an athlete. Um, do you still, it's, do you still deal with a lot of athletes or do you find yourself like dealing with a different population that you originally never thought that you would be uh, involved in? Uh, I still, I still deal with athletes of, of different levels. Uh no, I mean, when I came out of school, my expectation was to was to work with general pu- public as well as athletes, and I think I get a, a good mix of that now. Because I mean, they're, they're definitely working with athletes can be very rewarding, but it can be just as rewarding, you know, working with somebody who you know has shoulder pain and can't and can't do their you know typical activities of daily living. Yeah. You know, to help that person get out of pain and get back to you know just living their day to day life pain free, it could be you know just at just as rewarding, if not even more so. Yeah, for sure. I think for me personally, it was kind of like, you know, I wanted to go into physical therapy because I wanted to, you know, work with athletes and be on the team and, you know, kind of help people out. But then as I slowly started learning more about the profession and the impact that it could have, it's kind of like drifted a little bit. Not that I wouldn't want to work with athletes, but like kind of drifted to like the more general population and how much of an impact like us as a profession can help have on like the health of, the, of everyone. It's uh, it's definitely a shift that I've taken in terms of what I want to do with my career. Awesome. Yeah. Um, so I noticed. So you uh, have your site up and running now, um, VitasHealth.ca. That's what it is. Yep. And um, I noticed we noticed you put on there a little quote, like you said, looking back, I realized that there are so many facets to the health, uh, to health beyond the gym that could have potentially improved my own well-being and performance. Um, what are some of those things that, uh, that you're, that you're referring, referring to there and, uh, how come they're, you think they're often like overlooked? Part of that was just, just being, just moving more throughout my day. I think, I think, uh, as a society, we put a lot of focus on, you know, what you do in the gym, you know, going to the gym for an hour. I mean, and when you look at the big picture, if you're, if you're in the gym for an hour, you know, what are you doing for the other 23 hours of your day? And I think, I think for me, and I think, you know, Stu McGill talks about it in, in his book, but, you know, something as simple as going for a 15, 20 minute walk, something, something, something that's low grade, low impact, but still, you know, a stimulus to the body. I think doing a lot of those things throughout the day, rather than, you know, going home, even as an athlete, right? You, you came back from practice, you were exhausted, you know, you laid out on the couch for a few hours, you know, watch some TV or whatever, you know, that, that was kind of the typical thing. And, and looking back now, there would have been a lot of, a lot of things I would have done differently. Like I, I started learning that towards the end. I think a lot of the, a lot of my teammates in Spain, 
kind of got into a lot of those things. I mean, you know, it, after practice, I saw guys doing, you know, the bird dog and the dead bug on the sidelines, just kind of as, almost as a cool down. And I think that that was something that kind of really clicked in my head that was that was overlooked and, and underutilized in, in a lot of, you know, in a lot of athletes nowadays. Uh, outside of that, I think I think nutrition was something that even despite being an exercise science student and, and kind of having some of that nutrition background, I think that was something that I really, really, really overlooked. Uh, you know, yeah, you have all you can eat food in the cafeteria. It's, it's sometimes it's hard to turn down the pizza and the burgers. Exactly. <laughs> you know, even even though even though that didn't seem, you know, obviously because I was burning so many calories and you're doing so many hours in the gym and training, you know, you don't necessarily put on weight, but at the same time you don't realize because you because you don't put on that weight, you don't realize how potentially negatively that is impacting you. So, you know, from nutrition to you know more general activity to you know even stuff like meditation and so forth. I think there were a lot of things that looking back that could have helped me outside of the realm of, you know, just physical exercise that, that could have really been beneficial. And I think that's, that's something that a lot of athletes overlook these days. That's cool. I find it so mind blowing how something so simple, like going for a walk for 15 minutes can improve, like just how you feel overall. It's crazy. eh? Oh, absolutely. I think, I think that, that ties into at the end of the day, we were, you know, as humans, we're born to move. We're, you know, we're hunters, you know, hunters and gatherers. We're, yeah. we're meant to move, you know, at low, low intensity for, you know, miles at a time, just kind of going from one place to the next. And I think that's, that's a lot of things that people overlook, even, you know, the everyday person just going to their gym, lifting their weights, you know, it's, that's, that's just one small component of it in terms of being just, you know, physically healthy. Yeah, have for you, sure. Have you seen that like translate into uh, your like your physio practice in terms of what you're giving people for like a home exercise plan or, or what you're recommending um, to for people to help like improve their their health? Uh, yeah, it, it definitely it, it definitely helps in the general undertone of you know especially a lot of a lot of stuff that's more like you know leg related, low back related, especially. I, I, you know, even if it's shoulder related, a lot of it is just, you know, just try and get moving as much as you can, you know, throughout the day, go for walks, you know, just, just spend more of your time throughout the day moving, whether it's moving from one position to the next, whether it's going from sitting to standing, you know, just, just be moving as much and giving as much input and stimulus to the body as possible. You know, and, and a lot of that is because, you know, simply exercise has an analgesic effect. And if you can be moving more throughout the day, you can, you know, decrease the threat to your nervous system. You can just, you know, get a little bit of cardiovascular exercise. And there's, there's just so many benefits of simply moving more throughout the day beyond what exercise I prescribe them. Yeah, that's totally true. And it's like, it's almost that reminder to the, to the person like, Hey, you have back pain, but you're not dead. You know, like right. you do stuff like, that's okay. It's okay to go for a walk, even though you have back pain. Yeah, absolutely. I think, I think there's still a lot of general tendency from people that, you know, if I'm in pain, I should be resting. I should be not, not using this, or I should be not moving this joint or that joint. And when it, you know, in reality, unless there's something like a broken fracture or a fracture or something, something like that, unless there's like some sort of red flag there, you know, for the most part, most situations, you know, people can move, people can safely move even, even when they are in pain without any, you know, additional consequences. And if anything, you know, additional benefits. Yeah, for sure. And I think we sit in a, in a position um, 
when someone comes to, to us as like a physical therapist to, you know, empower them and, and be positive in terms of um, their situation. I think a lot of times people are almost looking for permission sometimes to do something because they might not understand what's really going on. So like they might be coming to you and you, they just need your reassurance that like, you know what, it's okay to go for a walk or it's okay to go and play with your kid for five, 10 minutes. Like I think, um, we definitely sit in a, in a good position to empower people to, to do those things. Yeah. And like you said, that, that, that little bit of reassurance sometimes is the most powerful thing you can do for a person. Yeah. Yeah. They just need, they just need that push, right. To, to know like they're okay and that they can continue on. Absolutely. Um, let's talk a little bit about, uh, like your website. Um, we, you just launched it like a week ago. Um, what, what led you to, to that, to, to doing that and, and some of the things that you're doing on, on the site? Uh, well, I'm, part of it is I, I wanted to have a little bit of a, you know, a longer form platform with the blog being able to kind of, I, I find, you know, Instagram is great for kind of share, sharing different information and educating people on things. But at the same time, you know, there's, there's only so many things, so much stuff you can type into that little caption. So yeah. that was one of the things I really, really wanted to be able to do is, is kind of expand and be able to really dive deep into topics and just kind of really, really be able to get my full point of view across. Uh, the other thing was I wanted to kind of branch out into other topics. Like we, like we said before, in terms of my athletic career, you know, I, I, I want to some, cover some things in nutrition. I want to cover some things that are kind of outside the box, whether it's, you know, cold exposure, heat exposure, uh, different things that may be beneficial to one's health outside of, outside of my scope of practice as a physiotherapist. Yeah, that's, that's cool. How do you, like, this, this, could, this gets brought up a lot in conversation in some of our classes in terms of, like, recommending those those things that are out quote unquote, like outside of our scope of practice, like you're saying, like cold exposure or, you know, diet, uh, recommendations for sleep. Like what, how do you feel about like using, like prescribing those things to people and, and, and what would you say to people that think like, Oh, that's outside of our scope. Like maybe we shouldn't be doing that as physical therapists. Uh, it, it depends, I guess. I mean, you, obviously you want to make sure, you know, when you're talking to the person in front of you that there's no potential red flags for whatever you're going to discuss. And it's it's something, anything that's outside of my scope of practice, or, or at least I feel is strongly outside of my scope of practice, is always something that I, I frame in terms of, you know, there's some evidence for this, there's some research for this, you know, it's something that you may want to be interested in looking into. I never, I'm very careful to not prescribe something that I don't, completely understand or, or comprehend the potential interactions that I might have with that person. Uh, but at the same time, I, I, I always make sure that I've experienced that or I've gone through that before I even open my, open my mouth in front of a patient to, to discuss it. So I would say it's, it's good for therapists to be aware of that. You know, if it's something outside of your scope, at least you're aware of it and you can kind of refer to somebody else that it might be inside their scope. But I think, I think there's, I think there's a lot of things outside of the realm that of physio that, you know, can help people within a physiotherapy setting. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Um, in terms of the, the services you're offering, like on your online platform, I noticed that you're doing, you're doing some like uh, video assessment um, how, how would something like typical session like that go, uh, go for you with a patient? 
Uh, so it, it'd be, I mean, typical, you know, 45, 60 minute assessment. Uh, the reason, you know, I, I think, I think a couple of years ago, I would have been really uncomfortable with the idea of doing that. Uh, I think now, because I feel that, you know, hands-on, especially from a treatment aspect, I think that hands-on, you can, you can do without it in most cases. Uh, so a typical session would be, again, really listening to that patient, you know, getting their history, making sure I rule out any potential red flags. Uh, you know, once, once I can rule out all those red flags and I, and I get a good idea of where this patient's coming from and it's not too many, I guess, confounding variables, uh, you know, something simple as, you know, maybe like a tennis elbow or something where there, I can kind of relatively rule out any neck involvement and stuff like that. You know, those I feel would be pretty straightforward and not necessarily need any hands-on, even from an assessment aspect, if it's, if it's a pretty straightforward, uh, approach to treatment. Uh, I spoke about this with Hannah Moves as well. And, uh, I think, it's the most important thing for me is to be open that if I ever do get a patient where it's like, okay, this is something that, you know, I shouldn't be doing online. This is something that I shouldn't be assessing online because this is something that may need, may need hands-on or it may need, you know, further investigation that I can't do via, you know, a video or Skype chat. Mm -hmm. Then it's, then it's something that I would, you know, wouldn't even hesitate to refer them to, you know, try and refer them to somebody locally that I know or or that I trust, or just kind of recommend that they see their, you know, their medical doctor or whoever would be the most appropriate person. Yeah, no, I think, I think that's awesome. And that's something that me and Will have been kind of looking into a little bit is that idea of um, tele-rehab or, you know, doing, doing the online session thing. I think it's something that we, we need to step into and, you know, it's, it's going to be done people are going that way, right? Like everyone's going to online. And I think it's just another area that we can have an impact as, uh, as a profession. Absolutely. And, and, uh, you know, it's not to say that I think, you know, uh, a video, video assessment compared to an in-person assessment, obviously, you know, in person, it's always going to be higher quality because you're in front of the person, you're face to face, you know, yeah. the interaction is always going to be completely different. Yeah. But, uh, you know, at the same time, you know, I think a video assessment where you're, you're talking to the person is, is, is a lot higher quality than going into some of your, you know, factory clinics where they're just going to be thrown on a hot pack and, and, a, and a machine anyway. So yeah. I'd, I'd rather, I'd rather those people have an option of seeing me as opposed to seeing their, you know, their local run, run by build clinics. Yeah, that, that, that's it. That's kind of where we are coming from too. It's like, I mean, the power of the internet is, is pretty crazy. And I, I'm, I'm sure you experience it with uh, like your social media following, but like people, people are starting to invest more in their, their health. And they're starting to realize like with access to information, like that there are other avenues out there other than just those run of the mill, like clinics and people are willing to seek out like help um, that aren't necessarily able to see you in person. So I think it's an awesome avenue to provide like good solid care to those people that, you know, want it. Yeah. It's, it's, it's simply, it's simply just another option for that person. And I mean, with all the technology we have now, the nowadays, it's, it only makes sense to try and, you know, try and use that technology to, to better help more people. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, what are you using? Like, are you just doing it via Skype? Is that how you're doing it? Or do you have like a particular like platform that you're using or? Uh, no, just via Skype. Cool. You don't have like Vita's video room or something? <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> um, so we we uh, we have a lot of people that listen to podcasts that are like students. Um, and we just want to ask your question, like given that you're only about 
you know, five, five years out. So it's still kind of fresh. Um, what do you think needs to be improved in our education um, as physical therapists, like to better, to better, to better prepare us for nice. like the real world? <laughs> uh, more focus on the things that are generally applicable to every patient. So what, what I mean by that is, you know, you can learn all about the modalities. You can learn all about, you know, all those different things to apply and all the different theories behind things and, and all that. And, you know, if, but those things aren't always applicable to everybody, things that are applicable to everybody, like patient communication. I think, I think they could a lot done a lot better job in school in terms of kind of putting more focus on, you know, building patient rapport and, and kind of really putting an emphasis on that. I think, because I think if you can, if you can come out of school and you can, interact with somebody well and you can kind of really develop that rapport and kind of really, really communicate well with people. I think, I think anything on top of that is a bonus. It's, it's, it's one of those things where if you can't connect with somebody, you won't, you'll, you'll have trouble being effective no matter what, if you can't really get that person to buy in and, and be able to not only buy in, but open up to you. You know, there's always situations in clinic where it's like, you know, you, you might, you, maybe you didn't build enough rapport with that person and they forget to mention something or they, they, they don't mention something because they feel uncomfortable and mm-hmm. you know, really, really allowing them to feel comfortable and open up, I think, I think is, is something that a lot of, a lot of students coming out of school overlook because they're always looking for the technical things to look at when they're, you know, at the end of the day, it's a, it's a person in front of you. It's not a textbook. It's not, you know, it's not some case study out of a, out of a manual. It's, it's, it's a human being in front of you that you need to be able to interact with and be able to truly understand where they're coming from in order to be effective. Uh, outside of that, I think exercise prescription, I think that was, that's something that I think they could focus a lot more in school. Uh, you know, rather than spending all this time on the modalities and all the hands-on skills, which are, which again, can be applicable in certain situations. I think focusing on the exercise prescription, which I think a lot of, a lot of physios come out of school. I mean, I'm, I, I'm lucky. I had a you know sports background and I put together strength programs for teams in the past. So I had a lot of experience with that, but for the average person coming out of PT school, I think they get, they don't get enough exercise prescription for kind of everyday, everyday application. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I think, and I think, and uh, like exercise prescription, like they do teach us, you know, like some basic stuff about like exercise that we can prescribe. But I think what what we need to go in a little bit deeper route is like learning how to properly load and progress and manage loads for for the people that we see. I think the the common thing is, oh, okay, like we'll do this exercise for like three sets of ten type thing, and then that's all we really talk about. So like learning how to properly progress those those exercises and in terms of like load management, I think is huge. And I think that's something that they could, we could definitely improve on um, for, for us as students. You know what I, I kind of noticed like, uh, and I know like me and Dalton have talked about this. I wonder if you've kind of noticed the same thing with uh, exercise. We've noticed it's almost like, like physios are more scared of causing pain with the exercises than the actual people. Yeah. Have you noticed that kind of thing? I was, I was actually just going to say the same thing. (laughs) It's okay to get pain with exercise. It's, it's it's something that I think coming out of school, I was always like, no, if that exercise caused any pain, then 
Don't do it. In my mind, it seemed like an exercise that you should avoid. Yeah. In reality, like, you know, there's, there's a certain amount of pain to be expected. You can't, you can't always avoid pain. Pain shouldn't be some sort of stigma attached to it where it's always a negative. You know, sometimes it's a, it's a good sign. Yeah. I think, I think pain being a positive reaction is something that was not, not addressed enough in school. Right. Yeah. Yeah, we don't get taught how to kind of swing that into a teaching point, you know, for the for the person in front of us and to actually make them less fearful of the movements and that kind of thing. Right. And, it, you know, it's 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 a matter again, it's a matter of communication. You know, it's, it's about it's about telling that person just just like when you go, you know, you go work out for the first time in a while you're going to be, you're going to have some discomfort tomorrow. You're going to be sore. You're going to have this discomfort tomorrow. And that's actually a positive sign. That's a positive sign that you pushed yourself. Now, obviously there's the other spectrum of it. You know, if you, if you killed yourself in the gym and you're, you could barely walk the next day, then yeah, maybe you pushed yourself a little bit too far. But again, in that situation, pain's still a positive sign because it gives you a feedback on doing too much. Yeah, for sure. It's all about how like you take, you frame, you frame that understanding of, of pain and what it's, purposes uh-huh. and I think uh, I think the communication thing too is they touch on is, is huge it's something that we talk about um, a lot mm-hmm. and I think it has gotten better I would say like we do talk about you know how we communicate with patients in school um, like it gets brought up but I feel like it just gets brought up on the surface level um, and we don't actually go too much in depth on how we we should implement it or even practicing implementing it into like um, like our classes, like I feel like we spend a lot of time on manual therapy, um, especially at Western, like we spend a lot of time on that, which is like you said, it's great. Um, but I think we, we could spend more time on actually just sitting down and having like a communication lab where we're trying to communicate, like we just said, like the understanding of why this person is experiencing pain and how they can, you know, how we can frame it to be an effective understanding for the patient. And I think that's something that, where we could go in terms of our education. Yeah. I mean, even, even having like a six week, you know, portion of, of your education where it's like, you know, just human psychology, you know, taking a look at human psychology, how, how people interpret different things and how people's, you know, beliefs and so forth can kind of change their expectations. I think that would be something that would be really beneficial. Again, it's, it's, it comes down to the person in front of you. If you can understand what that person's going through and you can be able to empathize with them and, uh, you know, be able to kind of decipher what's, what's a real threat and what's a, what's only a perceived threat to them. I think that's a, that's a big portion of being a, a quality, te- quality clinician. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, for sure. I, I think, I think we will see changes. I mean, I'm, I'm hopeful and positive that, that things will like start to change. Cause I think, you know, we can go into like the profession as a whole. I think it's starting to, we're starting to make that shift and understanding that those things are a lot more important than some of the other things we used to think where were super important. Yeah. And I think there's a lot, I mean, there's tons of smart people in the profession and, you know, there's even the, you know, at Western, you know, cause I was there, so I have experience there, but you know, there's tons of great professors there. It's just, there's all, there's always that issue with academia because everything you know, time it, changes take time in the academic yeah. world. You know, yeah. if, if some research comes out today saying something, and you know, there's a bunch of papers to prove it, it may take ten years for that to kind of be implemented in an academic setting. So there's always that disadvantage. But 
as long as as long as as it's progressing in the right direction, you know, that's that's all you can really ask for. Yeah, for sure. Um, we know you're pretty active on social media. Where do, where do you what are your thoughts on the use of social media in in like the rehab world? I know obviously you use it, so you must find some benefit to it. But I'm just curious to hear a little bit more of your thoughts on that. Uh, for the most part, I think there's there's more more benefit than than bad. Uh, I mean, obviously, just off the top of my head, it's you know it's it's even you know even talking to you guys, right? Like they're without social media, I wouldn't be able to connect with guys like you and, you know, all the other great clinicians out there. I think, I think as a, as a whole, it's, it's definitely pushed our profession in the right direction. You know, we're, you know, people are learning more, people are, people are getting free resources. I mean, I, I, I learned, I learned tons from Instagram on a daily basis. I never thought I would say that, but I know, same, you know, same. You know, I see, I see a post, I see, I see something out there and I, it, you know, it, it drives my curiosity to, to learn more about it. Uh, you know, also patient education. I think it's, it's an excellent platform for us to promote our profession as a whole, you know, and, and that's not even just physiotherapy, you know, massage, Cairo, you know, all these other professions, you know, promoting, promoting health in general. I think it, it's given us a great platform for that. On the negative side, it's everyone gets a voice. So there's always, when everyone gets to speak, there's always going to be a little bit of, a little bit of negative, or I guess a little bit of drawback in that situation where, you know, people say things maybe for attention or people say things to, to, to be controversial and, you know, people see it on the internet. It's still, it's still, there's still a lot of people that'll believe it and take it for face value regardless of what, what the person's saying. So there, there, there is that, but uh, again, for, for the most part, I think it's a, it's a really great platform for clinicians to learn from each other as well as educate the general public. That's true. And the thing is, if, if someone like you has those thoughts and you decide not to go on social media, that's just one less positive voice out there educating people, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the more, the more, the more people we can have out there, you know, giving a positive light on things, I think, I think the more, the better, right? Yeah. And I think a lot of, I mean, we're always trying to, as a profession, figure out how we can make ourselves more relevant and how we can communicate with the general public. Like all the attention for the most part is on social media. Like, I mean, I know even like, even if you think about the older population, um, like everyone's on social media now. So if you want to find a way to interact with, with the public, like I, I feel like those platforms can be super powerful for us for education purposes, for those like known, like I think engaging with the community more, for sure, and and again, it also also in getting other practitioners to kind of come out and share their information as well. I think you know before I started social media, it was a little bit daunting. You know, putting out my opinion, putting out my ideas, you know, onto yeah. the internet, it was a little bit daunting at first. But just seeing other clinicians do it and kind of being you know being inspired by other clinicians to do it, yeah. I think has really helped. And I think again, the more the more we can get people opening up and sharing their ideas and kind of you know, communicating with each other, the better, the better it is for the profession. For sure. And it's a, it's a more positive environment than people think. Like I know me and Will, the same thing. Like we, like it's, it's scary to put yourself out there, especially like even coming from a student perspective, like, you know, we're, we're still learning every day and like, we don't know any, like anything really. And like, we're just trying to put out like good quality information. And like, it was received very well by, by like the community, um, like we've made a lot of relationships with people like through our social media that 
have been very accepting of us. And it's just like people that are out there thinking that it, it could like, it's, it's way more positive and we just encourage people to like actually step out and, and, do, and you'll be surprised of how much you actually learn. Absolutely. I, I think it's, again, it's always, it's always good to see young clinicians taking, taking, taking charge and, you know, really wanting to incorporate themselves more into the general discussion and, and the profession as a whole. Yeah, man. Um, we're kind of getting, getting in there to t- in, uh, in time. So we, we can wrap it up here. Um, usually one question we, the question we like to leave is if you could, uh, take yourself back to, uh, that day you're walking across the stage at Western, getting your PT degree and you could offer yourself any piece of advice, whether it be, you know, about your future career or just your growth in general, like what would you recommend to yourself? Uh, hmm. I would say just kind of just keep keep exposing yourself to different things. Expose yourself with a with an open mind. Uh, I mean, which I think is kind of what I done did. But I think you know, real realize that not everything out there is. I don't want to say true, but you know, realize that everything out there is has may may have some truth to it, may not. But just just experience it. Just you know, give it a chance. Give it a go. And if it doesn't work, you know, you move on to the next thing. Don't get, don't get caught up in having to learn this or that or this technique in order to be a successful clinitioner. Uh, you can be, you can be a successful clinician with simply just, again, having good patient interaction. So, you know, really nail down the part that you're going to use on a daily basis, which is that client interaction. You know, don't worry about all the tools and stuff like that. I think, I think I, my first year out of practice, I focused way too much on, you know, taking all these continuing education courses, learning all these new things. When, you know, the first year out of school, you just learned a ton of information over the last two years. Just apply that information. Just apply what you've learned already. You know, work on your patient interaction, and that's and that's what I would have recommended for myself, or at least at least the first year out of practice. Good advice. Yeah, I think that's a common that's a common theme that's come up with everyone that we've talked about is is you know, don't rush into all the continuing education. Like, take what you think is valuable, um, but work on you know improving those core values of interacting with people. You know, learning how to properly assess someone, learning how to properly prescribe exercise and how you're going to communicate that. I think that's uh, definitely one of the key things we've taken away with, taken away from everyone that we've talked to so far. Absolutely. All right. So that, that, that's about it. Uh, We really appreciate you coming on and and chatting with us. Um, Do you want to put out your your social media and your website so people can come and find you? Yeah, sure. Uh, on Instagram at Vetus Physio, uh, Vetus Physio on YouTube, Vetus Vetus No Junius Physio on uh, Facebook, as well as my website VetusHealth.ca. Uh, you know, anyone anyone wants to reach out to me, has any questions, always feel free. I'm always I'm always open to discussion. Perfect. We'll uh, we'll also link that in our show notes too to make it easier for people to uh, to reach you, um, guys. You can find us at the MVMP. MVMT PTs on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Um, yeah, Will, anything else to add? No, man, just thanks for coming on. Really appreciate it. It was a great chat. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. It was a pleasure. All righty, we'll talk to you later then. All right, take care. Yeah. Bye.